everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Emily Ely, who is a director for the Association for Talent Development, and she currently works for Noodle Partners, which is an online program management company. She also holds a PhD in education from the University of Virginia. Thanks so much for joining us today, Emily. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. You started your career as a kindergarten teacher in Miami, Florida, in a bilingual studies program. Years after that, you released, uh, received a PhD in education. You're now focused on adult education. So I want to start off by asking this. What are the similarities between teaching kindergartners and teaching adults? Huh, yeah, there are um, a ton of similarities, actually. Um, so let's see here. So the first one, I, I'll share just a few. How about five? Um, so the first is that they, uh, both worlds, adults and children, both have short attention spans. Um, you know, there's a lot of buzz right now around micro learning uh, for adult learning and development. And, um, but it's pretty funny, you know, it's, it's with both worlds. They both have short attention spans. You need to segment learning into chunks for, for both. Um, the second one I would say is they both have cognitive limitations that we need to be aware of. Um, it's something that I use when I create adult uh, training. I refer to um, Mayer's, his name is Richard Mayer, and he's um, produced a cognitive theory of multimedia learning and accompanying design principles. And that's a great resource that I refer to when creating video and PowerPoints as, as a reminder of ways, simple ways that you can reduce cognitive load and optimize learning. So that would be the second one, um, cognitive limitations. A third similarity would be that um, both require attention to individual needs. Both require differentiation and personalization. Um, otherwise, we're really not meeting them where they are. And then the fourth would be um, both require awareness of finding the, the right level of difficulty. And when I um, think about the, the younger population, I think about the Goldilocks effect. So right, we, the, the learning needs to be not too easy. Otherwise, they'll be bored, you'll lose them. And it can't be too challenging because then they'll be overwhelmed. So you have to find that, that middle spot. And, and with adult, adults, there's a term coined desirable difficulty. So, so it's just the same, really finding that, what's that right level of difficulty. Um, and then the fifth I would say is that both really need to know why to show up. You know, even, even five-year-olds, they need to know why they should sit there and why they should learn something as, as the adults. I, I love that. And I love kind of the conciseness of there's all of these similarities. And one thing that your work and, and your career has definitely intrigued me about is a focus on learner engagement. And maybe as a broader question, so how do you, how do you make a learner, or I guess take it more broadly, how do you ensure that anyone is really engaged in the content that you present? Yeah, that's, gosh, it's a great question something that I think every learning and development professional should always be striving to achieve, right? Um, and so I think, you know, the easy answer that a lot of people talk about is, is, um, is actively engaging and helping people to interact throughout. And now people are being challenged with how to, you know, how to do that virtually, but that is important. But I think, you know, so many learning and development solutions fail because the end users do not know the value of the training to them. 
And so learning really must be tied to individual concerns, their tasks, their challenges that they're faced, faced with. Actually, there's um, an author of a book that I love. His name is Nick Shackleton Jones, and the book is called How People Learn, Designing Education and Training That Works to Improve Performance. And he really talks about this concept of how our concerns drive our learning. And so, you know, also, you know, I, I realize that, but I'm also given a heavy research background with my PhD, I am certainly all about staying up with the latest research, right? Like what does research say for effective learning and development? And, and also the um, using instructional design principles, right? Like all of this makes sense. The thing is, research aside, instructional design principle side, micro learning and, you know, this term engaging of interacting people aside, if people care about what they're learning and they're determined to figure something out, they will probably watch a boring video happily for an hour because they really care to learn whatever is in that video, right? And so on the other hand, um, if you go and you create an awesome training that follows instructional design principles, it's, you know, has uh, research supported practices embedded in it and it's super interactive. Um, if the end user doesn't understand why it's relevant, you might still lose them and they might still think that it's a waste of time. So I say this because I think, you know, too often I see people sort of content dumping without really tying in what folks care about. And that this is something that is just so important. If people don't care, um, we need to spend time really building that, that care and the effective significance to help them. Something you said there that, that really stuck out to me was the comment about our concerns drive our learning. You're obviously an individual that has spent your career learning, but also focusing on the science and the research behind how we learn and how to make learning more effective. What, what are your kind of concerns right now or where is your main focus area? What's getting you the most intrigued right now? Oh, I love that. Um... So I am probably most intrigued right now by how to use human-centered design principles to better create, uh, yeah, to better design training that taps into people's concerns. And it's for this reason, right? I really believe in this. Um, I actually just uh, completed a, a course on human-centered design and have signed up for another one. So that, that's something that's on my mind right now is how, how can I better help L&D professionals to figure out small and big ways to tailor their training, whether it's a, you know, a few day training versus a webinar where you have no idea who these people are who are showing up. How can I help them to better tap into what people care about? And I do believe that um, human-centered design principles help. One thing that- Just one. One thing that- yeah. I have discussed and kind of talking about your background is you've, you've done all these things. You, you, there's a level that you have to organize your life. You have to have this constant aim towards productivity. I mean, going to get a PhD and dedicating, you know, your life in some way to this. How do you think about your own personal productivity as both a leader, but also as a professional and, and as somebody who's pursuing additional knowledge? What do you think about from a productivity perspective on a day-to-day -day or a week-by-week -week basis? Oh, gosh. I think it's something that could always be improved. Um, I, yeah, I am wearing multiple hats right now. And 
uh, I, I have always sort of felt like I'm always striving to find a balance. I think I, I love learning and I'm uh, by nature such a curious person. And so that um, as a result, I tend to take on a lot because a lot excites me. Um, so from a productivity standpoint, a few things I've learned along the way. I um, My brother-in-law actually gave me this book. Uh, it's called Getting Things Done by David Allen. And he talks about using your mind to get things off of your mind. So with this, I sort of slow down and, um, and, and spend more time thinking about what I need to do and thinking about desired outcomes for tasks. Um, so how do I, like, even this podcast, when I was playing this podcast, so I wrote down on a sticky note, what would be the, the ideal outcome? You know, what, what do I want to share, right? So being more specific with my ideal outcomes when it comes to longer tasks and then writing it down. Um, and then also he talks about your mind can't let things go until and unless you park it in, um, you park a reminder in a place that you're, you know you will look without fail. So what I did was I bought three giant whiteboards in my office and I've created these columns with my different jobs, the different hats that I wear, um, and put on sticky notes these sort of desired outcomes and in the order of priorities. So that's something that I've done. And I'm, I'm fascinated too. The, um, Daniel Pink wrote a book, When. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's so such an awesome and fun read, um, but it's the, the scientific secrets of perfect timing. And so he talks about um, there's people tend to have a, uh, a time period in their day when their, their productivity peaks. Um, so for me, it's like late morning, um, late morning to around one o'clock. And so I do try to plan my days around that. If there's a more complicated task I need to work on, I will try to um, build it in during a time when I know I'm, I'm peaking with my productivity and my brain waves are really working well. I, I absolutely love the visualization of those three large um, whiteboards in, in your office. And, and I also love the concept of kind of time boxing or figuring out when you are the most productive and structuring different tasks. Can I, can I follow up on that and ask if you're aware of when you're most productive, you're by your very nature somewhat aware of when you're not as productive, what sort of tasks are you putting into the I'm not as productive period of your day? Yeah, so he talks about, um, uh, let's see, so the, the, yeah, the, when around three o'clock late afternoon is when I'm, I'm not so productive, so I will try to put in, um, A, maybe more creative tasks that, um, where I, I don't need, you know, to be fully functioning, it's almost sort of helpful, like, just what, what's something that I can be creative doing, um, also, uh, stuff that comes that's more second nature so for example you know when I was um, working at a university um, just uh, if you've taught a course so many times sort of like adding in the logistics that come along with it are things that I you know it's like adding resources here and you know adding them to the learning management system so things that don't take tons of effort um, I would prefer like actually talking to people doing um, trainings, you know, around the times when I'm teaching, and then the other things that are more logistics re uh, related and not so complex, try to do them in the afternoon, mm. if I can. Not, not, not always possible to, to schedule your day in that way, but when I can, I try. 
No, I love it. I love the the very distinctive approach that you take. I think it's really helpful for me um, to think more in those terms. And in some ways, you get bogged down by the calendar that is presented to you. And in mm -hmm. some ways, if you can find ways to dictate a little bit more what your calendar looks like, you might find a higher level of productivity. So I'm definitely, I, I wrote a, down a note on that one. I'm going to take that one back <laughs> starting uh, starting tomorrow or starting next week. What, what about for you, one of the things that has fascinated me the most about these conversations that I've been able to have is kind of defining moments. Do you have a moment that you look back in your educational or in your professional career that really defined the learning professional or more broadly the professional that you are today? Yeah, I love that question. Um, yeah, something that I think about a lot um, in, in many ways throughout my day. So years ago, I went to train teachers in Rwanda, Africa. And I was so excited. I spent hours preparing and I came in with tons of ideas of how to improve their instruction. And I, I got there and realized that I needed to throw out all of the preparation that I had done, throw it out the door. Um, what they needed help with was learning English. Um, and so at the time they, they had been teaching in French and then they were newly required to start teaching in English and, and they just didn't really know the language. Um, so that was what we ended up focusing on. Um, and so this experience really led me to be much more human centered, much more customer centered and focused um, and to really meet people where they are and to not assume that I know what other people need. Um, and so I, I still prepare. I love preparing. I'm an over-preparer, prepared a ton, you know, for everything that I do, but I also now prepare to have to change the plan. Um, and I've, I've loved to learn adapting in the moment. So this, this idea of like preparing, but preparing to change a plan reminds me of a Mike Tyson quote. Um, that's everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And I think what you said there about being flexible, I think really resonates with me. Can you elaborate a little bit, though, on when you're given the opportunity to prepare? What are some of the things that you're doing to prepare? And let's assume that you won't have to pivot or change anything. What are you trying to do to get prepared for a training or a presentation? What, what are you making sure that you get done beforehand? Oh, wow. Yeah, well, it really depends what what the topic is. Um, so I try to use, you know, what, what I know about whatever that topic is or whatever the concerns are that I'm trying to address for people. So what what does the research say about it? What have I learned along the way? But then also the, the preparation involves building in opportunities, um, you know, during the, the training or the course. It involves building in opportunities right away to learn about my learners or my attendees, their concerns and their needs and, and what they're challenged with and what their pain points are. So, so that is something that I build in. And then I think too, just having, having lots of stories on hand that I think might be relevant to them, knowing what their background is um, and what they're coming, you know, coming into the table with. Um, so trying to have lots of, of of stories planned, lots of um, talking points planned, but then also realizing that it's okay if I stray, you know, from the, from those points and don't use them because it's better. It is so much better to let all of that go, you know, and not not do what you've planned if it isn't working and if it isn't meeting their needs. Um, and so, so building in this time to learn 
about their prior knowledge as well. Um, what, what do they already know so that I can build on that and not waste their time either talking about something that they already know a lot about. So it's a lot of, you know, preparing around the, the topic um, and, and impactful stories around that topic and what research says about that topic, but also really planning in these opportunities to, to learn about what their cares are, what their concerns and needs are. Mm. Well, putting in that time to plan and prepare and kind of meet learners or meet participants where they are is is a great spot to end the conversation. I'll, I'll probably be going out to purchase three whiteboards after this. So <laughs> appreciate all of the guidance that you've provided, but I do want to leave enough time for our final two rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests. And the first one is is this, if you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would that word be? I'd probably say empathetic. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Get clear on what you want and start demanding it. Hmm. Well, Emily, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, Yeah, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure as well. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Well, thank you for all the great insight and thanks to all our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show at Learn to Lead Podcast on Instagram. And you can find our organization Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. And be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.